That opportunity to apprentice and observe really was foundational. Part of me was like, how do people do this? How do they create the spaces? And what was empowering for me was they were creating their own stories. So that's one of the things that they learned is like, well, if you want to see your story on stage, you need to create those possibilities for yourself. Happily thinking of herself as a STEM person, Patricia Herrera was on the pre-med path before a chance encounter with Latinx theater in a freshman seminar led her to take to the stage. There, she began thinking about how theater was able to reflect who she was. But it took some time for her to figure out how one could actually put that into practice as a profession. Find out how centering your community's stories in your work can help give voice to your own on today's Roads Taken with me, Leslie Jennings Rowley. Today I'm here with Patricia Herrera and we are going to talk about the roles that we take on and shed and try again and where those roles ultimately lead us. So Patricia, it's so lovely to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's so great to see you. All right. So we actually start this with the same two questions for everyone and they are these. When we were in college, who were you? And when we were getting ready to leave, who did you think you would become? <laughs> That's a great question. And I laugh because my life of events have, it's really so different. I came in thinking I was going to major in biochem. I came in as a science student. I went to Brooklyn Technical High School and was part of a STEM program there. And so I was trained to do science. So in my mind, that's the pathway that I had. And that's the pathway that I knew. That's not the path I took. No. <laughs> no. That is a surprise to me, actually. I didn't know you until later. And that is not okay. So there were some twists there. there so when, twists. when did you start uh, either shedding or adding uh, parts of you to become who you are? So actually, my first year at Dartmouth, I was taking our first year seminar class and um, there was a writing consultant working with us and he wrote a play and won an award to be able to stage it. And he invited me to audition. And I looked at him and I said, I've never performed. I have no idea what that means. I don't know what to do. And he's like, just give it a try, you know? And I said, okay, I'll give it a try. Um, and I did, and I got cast. And that was the beginning of just falling in love with being on stage and the art of theater. I got the theater bug after that. and just was part of different performances while I was trying to do my lab. <laughs> right. So in my mind, I was just doing this because I enjoyed it and didn't think of it as something that I can do as a career or as a profession. And it didn't dawn onto me until probably sophomore year when I went to study abroad for the London Theater Study Abroad program. But at this point, you were still a biochem major. I was still a biochem major. I hadn't declared being a theater person. I was taking theater classes. I was also taking Spanish classes that were really connected to Latino studies at the time, which is what I was interested in as well. But in my mind, I was still doing science. <laughs> 
I wasn't particularly doing well in the classes, I must say, <laughs> but I was still like hustling along, taking all the classes that I needed to take to be a biochem major. <laughs> but at some point back in the back of your mind, you might have thought that maybe that wasn't going to be your path because taking on the FSP, the foreign study program in theater is a, a commitment of an entire term. And there are no biochem classes, as far as I can remember, in the foreign study <laughs> program in London for theater. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, after I came back, my counselor uh, sat me down and said, well, let's stand and look at the classes that you've taken and let's see what makes sense for you. <laughs> <laughs> I had such a great time in London and really met so many other people that were taking this on as a profession that in my mind, I started thinking, I wonder if, what could I do? And one of the reality checks that she gave me was, well, you want to do what you love, not what you think others want you to do. And I think that was a big shift for me because, you know, as coming from an immigrant family, my parents came from Ecuador. And so education was the way out, the way of success. And so, you know, they, they said, you're going to be a doctor. And so that's what I knew. I was like, okay, I'm going to be a doctor. And so I, I was part of these science programs. And so that was the reality I knew. And so nothing, I, I didn't see any other possibility. And then the idea of like doing something you love was also not real, not a viable possibility either, because it's, it's like, it's, is that going to get you money, right? Like, like right. how are you going to get a salary or, or anything like that? And my, that's the way, and that was the practical way my parents talked about a profession was you want to get your benefits, you want to, right, you want to have a good, stable a salary, and you're the first one going to college. So, <laughs> Yeah, so at that point, though, you're hearing these kind of conflicting messages, and it's really hard as a 20-year-old, 21-year-old maybe, mm-hmm. to figure out how is there a way to do both which should win who am i letting down all of those things how were you thinking about that as you changed majors because you were a theater and latino studies mm-hmm. major what were those conversations like like internally for you and maybe externally with family and others oh that was a terrible part of the ter- terrible stage i felt really um I had let, I felt like I had let my parents down, but I, I had to share with them and announce to them, like, I'm majoring in theater and Latino studies. And they were flabbergasted, of course. They could not understand why would I possibly do that and how it possibly live and all the things that you would think <laughs> parents would say. <laughs> and so it was hard for me. One, it was hard for me to tell them. I took a, while, a long time to tell them. And two, it was hard for them to accept that. That actually made me more stronger because I was more adamant about saying this is what I want to do. So it was it was it was good for them to respond mm-hmm. in that way because then it, I had to be clear about why I wanted to do it. Right. But in reality, I wasn't right because it was the first time I came out as saying, "Okay, I want to do this." Right, and it was my junior year, so I hadn't built up all the skills right. and experiences for me to to say, okay, I'm going to do this. And so I went through the major really quickly, but, um, and decided I wanted to go to graduate school. I did not know what 
direction I wanted to go. So I applied to all the possible directions for graduate school. I went, I had written a play by that time. So I was like, I'm going to try a playwriting program. <laughs> I had directed a play because I was part of Nuestras Voces, which was the Latinx theater student group there. And I had done work with the group there as well. So I was like, I'm going to apply to directing. I'm going to apply to an MA program just in theater history, a PhD program. So I applied to any possible <laughs> options so I, so I could have some options because I did not know what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. But maybe a practicing playwright or writer or director didn't appeal because that didn't seem viable or? Well, I didn't know enough to say no to any one of those. So I didn't want to close the doors for those options. But you thought you needed the more training. I thought I needed more training. Okay. So I said, okay. I'm going to apply not knowing what that meant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And interestingly, I did get into a dramaturg program. I got into a, a directing program. I didn't get into a playwriting program. <laughs> and then I got into the CUNY Graduate Center PhD theater program. And because I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, coming back to New York really seemed something that I wanted to do. I also was going out with somebody who lived in New York too. <laughs> so I think that also helped with that decision. But that was an opportunity for one, to go back home, but to re-look at New York City in a different way, because I hadn't really taken advantage of the theater scene or the art scene in New York City. And so it was falling in love with a city that I grew up with and getting Mm. to know it in a different way. Um, And so that was what was really exciting for me. I actually deferred for a year before starting the PhD program. There was a, a fellowship program that Dartmouth had that, that allowed you to do some kind of internship or apprenticeship your senior year when you were going out. Um, and so I had applied for that and a, a proposed that I would apprentice with three Latinx playwrights, Carmen Rivera, Dolores Prida, and Mitalia Cruz. And so that's how I really got to know the world really is getting to be with the artist and just sit side by side with them and get to know the work that they're doing and how they do it. And all these three artists, they they are community-based artists. Um, They're really interested in doing work that aims at a specific social issue. Um, And at that time, Carmen Rivera was working on one acts HIV plays in the community. Migdalia Cruz was working on a play that was, like most of her plays, based on the Bronx and the the kind of poverty and uh, hustle and and struggles that BIPOC people were facing during the 1980s and 1990s. Um, so these and Dolores Prida and who who has passed away mm-hmm. since was talking about her identity as a Cuban-American in these plays. And so these were plays that really spoke to me. And that's why I also fell in love with theater was because I was able to see myself Mm -hmm. there. And it was professors like Diana Taylor um, and Sylvia Spira, who's really exposed me to the work of Latinx artists in general. And they're the ones who... 
actually familiarized me with the New York Poets Cafe, which is what I wrote my dissertation on and which my book is about as well. Um, and so it's interesting that to think about that journey that I learned about something from New York. And I'm a New Yorker, but I learned it at Dartmouth. Right, in Hanover, New Hampshire. <laughs> so I, I, I think that that's where my inspiration comes from, is from really that close, intimate time that I spent learning about these Latinx playwrights. Um, at the same time, that year that I deferred, of course, you know, it's a fellowship, so it's not enough to live in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up working with Henry Street Settlement. At that time, they had an urban youth theater company, and I became the coordinator of the urban youth theater company. Uh, um, and I was there for uh, at least uh, five years with them. So it was really uh, fun times. I got to meet Jose Joaquin Garcia, Alicia Diaz, and these were, and Jennifer Fleming and Amarelis Perez, which we three of us, we joined together to create our own theater group, intergenerational theater group in New York City called Rupi Theater Company. So it was beautiful. <laughs> but that path was not something that I had thought about or even imagined, but it really just came out of the work of being with young people and thinking, wow, what would it look like if we created a space like that is, but that is specific to uh, Latinx population? Yes. And as I had asked the question before, could, could you have thought before leaving Dartmouth about becoming a practicing artist and, well, no, I'm going to go get more training so that I can do, keep all of my options open? It was actually that period of not yet doing the training, but then continuing with the training that was flexible enough to let you do both, right? You could be a practicing artist, be in that world, yet kind of get your grounding and foundational skills that you could critique and teach and do all of the other things that are part of making this a viable career in, uh, at that time, New York, of course, um, <laughs> and later on. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that opportunity to just apprentice and observe really was foundational for me and just affirmed that that was a direction to do it. And also that there were actual possibilities, right? Because part of me was like, how do people do this? Mm -hmm. You know, what, how did they create the spaces? And what was empowering for me was they were creating their own stories, right? So that's one of the things that they learned is like, well, if you want to see your story on stage, you need to create those possibilities for yourself. And there are other people who can do that with you, right? Um, and so the idea of a collective was something that really I enjoy until this day. A lot of my work is really collaborative um, and I see the power of collaboration and how much that is such a force for thinking about social justice. Yeah, so... Collaboration is important in lots of fields. Academia, sometimes, sometimes it's a very solitary pursuit. Talk us through kind of that, the PhD, where it took you and how that has played out for you, whether the solitary player or the collaborator. Yes, that's a great <laughs> question. So in, indeed, I think, you know, being in the PhD program and writing a dissertation is very solitary. And I did feel while I was doing my PhD that it was two worlds that I was living. I was living the world of 
finishing the PhD and doing the academic thing. And then on the other side, I was doing my community work, which I was passionate about, which was connected to who I was and to the community that I really wanted to connect with. And I had to find a way to bridge that. Mm. And it took me a little while to do that because I felt, you know, at that time, there still wasn't any Latinx PhD courses, graduate courses, right? Mm. And so mm-hmm. it was, I was creating that for myself. And it was being in the theater world, in the actual kind of practice of theater, that really encouraged me to say, okay, if artists are doing it, right, if artists are creating their stories, then I can do the same thing in this space in this academic space how can i create a space where i'm bringing these stories into the academic space and so that's what i did i my dissertation um, really focused on the new york imports cafe on the women who really founded the new york imports cafe and then how it's really influenced contemporary hip-hop theater artists and of course that wasn't an easy thing to do <laughs> Uh, because there's an expectation of showing you're not only an expert here, but you know, then I have to show I'm, I'm an expert over here as well. So I always felt like I was, you know, trying to bring these two worlds together. And so with that in mind, I think as I moved forward and because my community work kept going, I was, we were part of the hip hop theater festival. And so working together was key. Like that's what I knew and that's what made me feel like I had purpose too. (laughs) Um, And so I guess when I think about what my work today, I can't, of course you, because I have to write alone because you have to publish on your own, right? You do the things that you have to do. in order to right, get tenure or stuff like that. But I think on the side, I, I continue to do the community work that I continue to, to love. Um, so a lot of my work has been working, trying to get together and strategize with my colleagues about, well, how can we make a, a social issue more relevant? So for instance, um, I'm currently working with a group of people who are affected with HIV and we are trying to create with our students a workshop that will help facilitate uh, the sharing of stories um, with our community partners together. And so, but that's came out of a long relationship that we've had five years now from creating docudramas and putting up exhibitions with these community partners. And for me, it's like, what better way to learn than to be with the people with the lived experience that can share their history and their challenges. And at the same time, we're honoring them for their contributions, right, in many ways. So, you know, I get to live in both of these worlds, do the academic world, but then still be in community with the people that I admire very much. And so I still see myself as that bridge. <laughs> yeah. And so when you were going back home to New York, you said you kind of got to know that community anew through different a different lens. But 
the life of an academic isn't always where they think they're going to be. So you you are now not in New York. You're still a New Yorker, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but, but how has the transition out of New York played out in your life? Um, and what has that been like to create the new communities for yourself? I got to go back to being a graduate student because I, I must say it took me nine years to finish my graduate studies. And so that's a long time. <laughs> a lot <laughs> happened between that time. I had three babies. <laughs> um, and so I literally was starting my dissertation and I had my first child. There was a point where I realized, oh, I really need to not be trying to adjunct work, raise a child and write a dissertation. It's like, I'm never going to finish. <laughs> so I decided to, to um, apply for dissertation fellowships. And lo and behold, Dartmouth does have a Cesar Chavez dissertation fellowship, which I applied to. And it's an interesting journey. And I did get to go. So I came back to Dartmouth as an adult with my two children and finished my dissertation there and then stayed for another two years at Dartmouth as a postdoc, um, which was such, it was a, a great times. It was beautiful to come back as an adult and really appreciate everything that Dartmouth has. Um, but I must say that that it's an interesting journey with thinking about the Cesar Chavez Fellowship because the first Cesar Chavez fellow, Tiffany Ana Lopez, who is still my mentor today, is the one who also opened my eyes to Latinx theater. She was finishing her dissertation on Sheree Moraga's plays, a Chicana feminist theater activist. And that encouraged me to then direct the first Sheree Moraga play at Dartmouth, Shadow of a Man. And so it's interesting. For me, it was very powerful and emotional to uh, go oh, on that journey. That's amazing. Um, and then that allowed you to kind of finish and get the degree and then put yourself out on the market. That's exactly it. I had my third child <laughs> at Dartmouth. <laughs> so he's, he's a Dartmouth boy. Um, and I uh, got my degree a month after giving birth. So I literally was carrying my third child with me and went on the stage and got my diploma. Um, and such, that was a big feat for me. Yes. <laughs> yes. I was definitely very, very tired. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I did go into the job market. And because my son um, was just born, I actually went into the job market with my son. Uh, a lot of the campus interviews, I took him along because I was nursing. Um, and so that was also kind of a big challenge, you know. Um, and it was also good to see how institutions respond mm -hmm. to that because then you know, mm -hmm. okay, this is the place I want to be. This is the place I don't want to be. <laughs> um, and University of Richmond was one of those places that opened their arms and invited me in. And I've been here since then. It was not a place that I had thought about whatsoever. It was not at all. I didn't know anything about Richmond. <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely anything. And that right, actually became the impetus for me to learn more and is why I base a lot of my community-based work about Richmond. So it's really civil rights in Richmond um, because I wanted to know more about it. And so a lot of my projects 
have to do with Richmond's history, whether it's busing, massive resistance, gentrification, Latinos in Richmond. It was a way for me to really learn about the place I was living in. Um, and so I kind of challenged myself, even though I don't was not a Richmonder, not an expert, expert whatsoever. <laughs> I said, I'm going to take this journey and allow community partners to be the experts, allow them to lead me in the journey, and then kind of think about what can we co-create together as we take this journey on. And so, Patricia, your work, we understand kind of where it comes from and who it's helping to serve and shine light on. But as you said, you were still unclear about which part you wanted to be in. And it seems like you never had to choose. So you you create and write and you create and direct. Is there still a part of you that it's performing as well? No. <laughs> No, that one you left at the door. Uh, however, I think that we all, when you're an academic, you perform in the classroom all the time. This is true. This is true. I haven't, yeah, I haven't been on the stage for quite a bit, of, like, quite a while um, now. So, and uh, part of me, you know, I'm actually an introvert by heart. So part of me, it's, I feel okay about that. There are times where as part of my theater company work that I did, we did a lot of lyrical work and um, musical work in there as well. And so I have some songs that I'm a part of um, that I wrote some songs to Dan Zane's. We were part of Dan Zane's um, albums. So that was fun. And it's always awesome to remember. And I always tell my children, I was pregnant with you when I was in that album. And oftentimes when somebody introduces me, they, they say, I didn't know you were a performer. Um, so, but I haven't, I haven't officially gone back on that stage performing. That's part, part of my, one part of myself that hey, maybe, maybe in another time I will, but no. <laughs> maybe, maybe it sounds like you have lots of other roles that you, that you're part of. So at what point, Patricio, was it that your family kind of got on board? Um, was it just seeing you be able to feed yourself in New York and or see you happy? Or what was that like? I think to this day, my mom wonders what I do. So <laughs> got it. I think most mothers wonder what their children do. I, I think she's uh, satisfied that that I I, I am a mother, you know, I can put food on the table, I'm happy, I have a family. And so I think she let that go and stopped asking after a while. And she she really tries hard. They they really try hard to understand what I do and admire what I do. You know, even though they don't fully understand, they have learned to appreciate what I do. And they see it in my children. I think that's what's the beautiful thing about it is that they see the creativity that I'm passionate about, they see it in all of them. My son is loves to rap and is thinking about film right now. My my daughter is a visual artist. My other son loves animation. So it's interesting to see the directions they are taking and owning their own creativity. And I'm happy that they feel comfortable in that because that's probably the space that I didn't have. I didn't have that space to explore um, my sense of creativity. Yeah, for sure. So if you think back to that very young Patricia thinking, I'm a STEM person, this is my path, and you told her, actually, let me tell you about that path. 
and she saw where you are now, what would she say? There's a part of me that still has that science brain and still sees the work of my art as healing. You know, I think part of what you learn as being a doctor is you learn how to heal people. You offer, you know, support towards that healing. And for me, theater, the arts has been that, has been pathways for healings, has been an antidotes for uh, social justice. I always say that the theater is sacred um, every time I do the work, the relationships that I build, the passion and energy that is put into creating this work is a dose that helps to cure, <laughs> right? Um, the challenges that we confront day to day. So I, I, in some ways, like while it's not the science, I do feel that the thread that ties those two worlds together is healing. That is beautiful. And goodness knows we have a lot of healing to be done. So <laughs> thank you for being out there and letting the voices of others show us what's reality and what maybe a future reality better than that one could be. So thank you so much, Patricia, for, for sharing all this story and for the work that you do. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time. That was Patricia Herrera, a community-engaged artist whose mission is to create a more just world through theater and the arts. She's currently an associate professor in the Department of Theater and Dance at the University of Richmond, which has been her academic home for over a decade. Her teaching, research, and community-based projects explore the social inequities experienced by underrepresented communities, especially in the places that she calls home. Find out more about her work at drpatriciaherrera.com. As Patricia says, when you throw yourself into a community's stories, you learn so much. I cannot tell you how grateful I've been to learn from all the guests who have come on this show. Each one has so much to teach and so much wisdom in the reflections on decisions made and lessons learned. Thank you to them for sharing and for those who have yet to appear but will in the future with me, Leslie Jennings Rowley, on Roads Taken. <laughs>